0: Wasn't that great worship this morning? I'm so thankful for our worship team and the ability that we have here to share together on this special Easter Sunday with some uh, some great worship, Remember, remembering and celebrating the great uh, Savior that we have in Jesus Christ who who rose from the grave. I wish we were together this morning, Lakes Free. It's, uh, it's a different Easter here this year for sure. And uh, I was thinking this week of, just how quickly things can change. You know, if I had told you just three months ago that we wouldn't be gathering together this morning for Easter Sunday worship, I mean, you would have thought I was crazy. Nobody would have believed it. And yet, here we find ourselves today, for the, for the first time ever, not gathered together as a church for worship on this special day. We're worshiping in our homes, in our, in our living rooms, around the kitchen table. It's an Easter like never before and it almost seems unreal when we think about what we're dealing with today in our world and in our current experience of of the stay-at-home orders and and just regular life seems to have been put on hold. It's sort of surreal. But friends, I want to remind you this morning that none of this is a surprise to God. God knows all about this. God has a plan and purpose in all of this. God is in control of all things. In fact, God is even using this unique Easter Sunday in a way that that he's never done in the history of the world. Do you know that today is very likely the, the world's largest Easter celebration in all of history? Today, more than ever before, people are are tuning in to churches all around the world, watching online, watching live stream services and pre-recorded services and, and different special Easter broadcasts today. More people will hear the good news of Jesus and his resurrection than at any other time in history. See, friends, God has a plan even in this. And even when it's hard for us to understand, we can trust him and know that he is good, he is faithful, he's doing something special this Easter. But you know, as I was thinking about our present circumstances and just how, real, how, how quickly everything has changed for us, it, it, it made me reflect back to 2,000 years ago, to Jesus' first followers, and how they too found themselves in a very similar situation. You know, their lives had been completely turned upside down. In a matter of a few days, Jesus' earliest followers had had gone in, in a period of a few days from celebrating his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, believing that Jesus had come as the conquering king to overthrow Roman oppression and reestablish the throne of David. And the crowds had gathered and they had cheered him as he rode into Jerusalem. But only five days later, those crowds were gone. They had turned their backs on Jesus and Jesus had been handed over to the Jewish authorities and to the Roman leaders and he was tried, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was crucified and Jesus now was dead, his body laid in a tomb and his followers must have thought what in the world is going on. All of their hopes, all of their dreams had been dashed. And Jesus was in the grave. But friends, I want to remind you that even then, even in those dark days, those days of confusion and and hopelessness and pain, even then, God was in control. He had a plan and a purpose. You see, God was going to take the confusion and pain of Good Friday and he would transform that confusion and pain, ultimately bringing way to the hope and rejoicing of Easter. Friends, this morning I want to share with you a message of hope. It's the greatest message this world has ever heard. The message that Jesus Christ is a living Savior. He's a risen King who rules and reigns today. Friends, if you're in a situation this morning where you could use some hope, and I think all of us today could use some special hope, I want to encourage you to pay close attention to this message this morning because it is truly the greatest message of hope this world has ever heard. We're going to be looking at the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ given to us by Mark in his gospel. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning in chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, where we have one of the four accounts in the New Testament, gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection from the grave and what took place on that very first Easter Sunday morning. It was a morning that started out very dark, but would soon give way to the light of hope. Let me read our passage for us this morning, friends, and then I want to come back and I want to share some thoughts about the good news that we find here in this great story the true story of Jesus' resurrection mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 8 when the sabbath was past mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him and very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb What an amazing story. What an incredible account of what took place on that very first Easter Sunday morning. It's what we're here to celebrate together today as we rejoice in the message of Easter. This morning, I want to reflect on what we just read here in this passage. And I want to share a number of observations about what took place on that very first Easter Sunday. That first Easter Sunday morning, first of all, we see in our passage was a morning when hope seemed lost. Hope seemed lost. Here, these these three followers of Jesus, these three women had set out. They had purchased spices. They they were planning to go to the tomb and and clean Jesus' body, which had been battered and was bloodied. They were going to clean his body and, and, and anoint him and bury him properly. But as they set out on the path to the garden where the tomb was, the women surely walked a path of sadness and despair that morning. You see, as they headed off towards the tomb on that very first Easter morning, they had lost all of their hopes and dreams when Jesus died their dreams of a messianic king who would overthrow the oppression of the yoke of rome those those oppressors who had conquered the jewish people their hopes of a messiah king who would overthrow their oppressors who would reestablish the throne of david those hopes were now dead they they all they had to look forward to as they headed towards the tomb that morning was a battered body a battered body bloodied and bruised from the terrible torture that Jesus had experienced just three days earlier. They expected to find an immovable stone in front of them. These three women asked, but who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Their hopes were dead. A battered body was anticipated. An immovable stone was expected. And friends, hope was in short supply that very first Easter Sunday. You know, maybe some of you watching this morning can relate to what those women were likely feeling on that very first Easter Sunday. Maybe you too find yourself today in a situation where hope seems to be in short supply. Maybe you too find yourself in a situation where you're struggling with a sense of hopelessness about the future. Maybe, maybe you're racked with fears and concerns about this current crisis we find ourselves in with this global pandemic. Maybe your hopes and dreams for the future have recently died. Maybe you're struggling today with your family life or your marriage and, and all that you hope for in those special things, is now lost. Maybe you're struggling this morning with your business or your job, wondering how you're going to make it, wondering where the income's going to come from. Maybe your dreams of a, of a new business venture have recently been put on hold and you're struggling to hold on to hope today. Maybe like those women that first Easter Sunday morning, you too are faced with the inevitable reality of death. Maybe the fears of COVID-19, maybe you have recently lost someone that you love. They've passed away, and you're struggling with grief this morning. You're struggling to hold on to hope. Maybe you yourself are, are ravaged by fear and the what-ifs if 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 I get sick? What if I what if I get this coronavirus and, and I end up in the hospital? and those fears of the reality of your own mortality. You find yourself wrestling with those fears today. Or maybe like those women on that very first Easter Sunday, you too find yourself facing an immovable barrier between you and God. A seemingly immovable barrier that has created a separation between you and God. Maybe it's your lack of faith this morning. Maybe you're struggling with doubts and, and questions about whether all of this is even true. Maybe, maybe you, too, face this immovable barrier between you and God. And, and maybe for you, that immovable barrier is the reality of your rebellion from God. Maybe you've turned your back on God. Maybe you've strayed from God. Maybe you have been living a life of sin straying from God's will for your life and you're wondering if there's ever any way that you could ever come back into God's presence. It seems like this barrier has been set up between you and Jesus. But friends, I want to remind you this morning, even in the midst of what seemed like a dark and hopeless situation, Mark here in his gospel gives us a clue that there was more going on Than meets the eye. Notice, friends, in verses one through three, Mark says that all this took place just after sunrise. Just after sunrise. Friends, it may have seemed that all was dark and hope was lost, but a new day had dawned. The sun had risen. Isn't it great, friends, when the sun rises and pierces the darkness? and shines its warmth down upon the cold of the morning. Mark tells us that the sun had risen. And this leads me to my second observation from that very first Easter Sunday morning. As the sun had risen on that very, very first Easter Sunday morning, it brought a moment when hope was stirred. Hope was stirred. Look at verse 4 in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark. Mark says that as the women approached the tomb, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. The stone had been rolled back. The tomb was open. And Mark notes that it was a very large stone. You know, friends, I can only imagine what must have been going through these women's minds as as they headed towards this tomb, expecting to find this immovable barrier between them and the body of Jesus. And as they approached the tomb, recognizing that the stone had been rolled away and they must have asked themselves, how could this happen? Who moved the stone? I mean, it would have taken many men to move such a large stone. When Mark tells us that this stone was very large, in the original Greek language that Mark uses here in his gospel, very large in the Greek is two words, megasphodra, megasphodra. It means exceedingly and to an extreme degree. Friends, this was no ordinary stone. This was a very large stone, a massive stone that had been rolled in front of Jesus' tomb to seal his body in the grave. But now this exceedingly large stone had been rolled away. You know, historians tell us that a stone of this nature in a first century tomb in Jerusalem would have likely been at least four feet in diameter and would have certainly weighed multiple tons. Friends, this stone was very Easily over 2,000 pounds. It was a massive stone. It would have taken numerous people to move such a stone. Certainly, these three women would have never had the ability to do that themselves. And as these women saw this stone that had been rolled away, they must have thought to themselves, well, wait a minute, where are the guards? Where where are the guards who, who had been ordered to watch the tomb? I mean, Pontius Pilate himself had had ordered a guard to be stationed outside of Jesus' tomb. A a Roman guard who were under penalty of death for failing to perform their duties and guard the tomb. And yet those soldiers were gone. The guard wasn't there. And then the women might have thought, had the religious leaders or, or the Romans decided to move Jesus' body? Did, did did they move Jesus' body to a different location? But then why wouldn't they tell anybody? Why wouldn't they have they said anything about this? Had they moved Jesus' body? The religious authorities, the Romans, neither of them would have wanted rumors to spread that that Jesus' disciples had stolen Jesus' body or or that a resurrection had taken place. They certainly wouldn't have wanted a story like that to get out. But they didn't say anything. They didn't say that they had moved his body. And then the women might have thought, well, maybe Jesus' disciples, maybe they came and and they stole Jesus' body. Maybe maybe the disciples took Jesus' body and they've hidden it away. But how could they? How could they do that with, with a guard unit stationed outside the tomb? with this massive stone blocking the entrance? How could they keep a secret like that? And why would they? What would they have to gain from doing something like that? Maybe these women thought there was some kind of great conspiracy going on here. But then again, what was the motive? Had the disciples stolen and hid Jesus' body to claim he had risen from the grave? What did they have to gain from that? other than they themselves being persecuted and tortured and likely killed just like Jesus had been. It's very interesting many people over the years have questioned this whole idea wondering if if the story of the resurrection was just made up. Maybe it was a conspiracy foisted upon the world by Jesus's earlier followers. A man by the name of Chuck Colson once thought that Chuck Colson who At one time was the special counselor to President Richard Nixon, Chuck Colson, who was intimately involved in the Watergate scandal that took place in the early 1970s. Chuck Colson went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal, spent time in federal prison for obstruction of justice. But there in prison, Chuck Colson began to examine the claims of Jesus Christ. He began to examine the claims of the resurrection. And as a result of his examination of the resurrection, Coulson became a follower of Jesus. Saying this about the conspiracy theory and the idea that Jesus' disciples made up the story of the resurrection, Coulson declared, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? absolutely impossible. Friends, the whole idea of a conspiracy theory just doesn't hold up. And the women must have pondered all of these things and all of these options and and as they thought about this, I bet the thought crossed their mind. But what if? What if? What if Jesus really did rise from the grave? But that thought must have seemed too incredible, too amazing to even contemplate but what if friends have you ever had a what if moment when it comes to Jesus Christ a moment when your hope was stirred by the possibility that maybe Jesus is more than you ever imagined in fact maybe that's why you're watching this morning maybe that's why you tuned in to our live stream today Maybe you saw something online this week and read something about Easter and you had that what-if moment that began to stir a hope inside your heart. Maybe you recently had a conversation with a friend about Christianity and the hope that they have in Jesus and their hope began to stir a what-if moment in your heart today. Friends, let me ask you to consider something this morning. What if you watching this service right now is no accident? What if God is stirring a new hope within you this very moment? What if today is God's way of inviting you to look and see that the tomb is empty and that maybe Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Savior of the world, and that just maybe In Jesus, you too can find a hope that you never thought possible. What if it's all true? What if? Well, Mark goes on to tell us this morning that for those women who discovered Christ's empty tomb that first Easter Sunday, the what if of a hope stirred was quickly transformed into the certainty of a hope confirmed. This leads me to point number three this morning. That very first Easter Sunday declares a message that hope has risen. Hope has risen. Let me read verses 5 through 8 of our passage again this morning. And entering the tomb, these women saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. What an incredible account. Of what those women saw on that very first Easter Sunday, Uh, a message of hope. I I wanna share with you this morning three observations from the angel's message to those women on that very first Easter Sunday morning. (laughs) Three observations from the angel's message. Observation number one the angel declared that Jesus is alive, the angel announced he has risen. Friends, three of the greatest. Most consequential words that were ever spoken. He is risen. Palm Sunday had given way to Good Friday. Their hopes and dreams had been lost and shattered at the crucifixion. But now, hope had risen. Jesus was alive. Easter had come. The angel declared that Jesus had conquered death just as he had promised. Friends, do you know that three times alone in the gospel of Mark, not even in the other gospels, but in the gospel of Mark alone, three different times in Jesus' ministry, he had prophesied that he would be crucified and buried, but then rise from the grave. In passages like Mark chapter 8, verse 31, for example, Jesus said, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Friends, Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection. There is no other religious figure in all of history who has dared to make such a claim, yet alone fulfill it. Only Jesus. Friends, Buddha... Confucius, Muhammad, they all died. They were buried. They're in the grave. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is a living Savior. Jesus Christ conquered the grave. The tomb could not contain Jesus Christ. He is alive today. People sometimes ask me, Jason, why do you believe in Christianity? Friends, for me, the answer to that question is very easy. I can answer it in one word, resurrection. I'm a Christian today because Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the grave. Tomorrow night at 7 p.m., if you join us online for our pastor study, I'm going to talk about the abundance of evidence that we have for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is no made-up story. This was no conspiracy. Jesus bodily rose from the grave 2,000 years ago on that very first Easter Sunday morning. We we could talk about the multiple accounts of evidence that we have today, like like the rapid growth of the early church in a hostile, first-century Jewish culture occupied by the Roman Empire. Friends, the Jews and the Romans alike, neither of them wanted the story of Jesus' resurrection to grow and spread. And yet it did it spread like a wildfire. How do you explain this? Unless Jesus truly did rise from the grave. We could talk about the, the eyewitness accounts and testimonies of Jesus' resurrection. People who they themselves claim to have seen Jesus rise from the grave. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul tells us that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus risen from the dead. Friends, that's a lot of eyewitnesses. And friends, understand, Paul wrote that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, only 20 years after Easter Sunday morning. And that means that many of those people that Paul talked about as eyewitnesses of the resurrection were still alive when he said that. Friends, if you're making up a story like this, you don't tell people that there are eyewitnesses who they could go back and check on to corroborate whether the story was true. But Paul wasn't worried about that. He knew these eyewitnesses, like him, had seen the risen Jesus. We could talk about the evidence of the transformed lives as a result of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. We could talk about people like James, the brother of Jesus, who earlier, during Jesus' public ministry, thought Jesus was crazy, walking around claiming to be the Son of God. Jesus' own family didn't believe in him. And yet, just a few short weeks after the resurrection, James is one of the leaders of the church, leading the church in Jerusalem. So convinced his brother truly was the risen king that James would willingly go to his own death, martyred for his belief that Jesus Christ was the risen Savior and Lord. We could talk about people like the Apostle Paul who started out as Saul, a zealous Jewish persecutor of the Christian faith, arresting Christians, shutting down churches, complicit in the death of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. And yet something happened to Saul. Saul himself claims that he encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ and it transformed his life. It set him on a whole new course. Saul became the Apostle Paul, the greatest champion of Christianity in all of history. Friends, what else would account for these transformed lives except that they had seen the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ? Yes, friends, Jesus Christ has risen. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ could not be contained by the grave. And because of that, we have hope this morning on Easter. The second observation I want to share from the angel's message to the women on that first Easter Sunday morning, the angel tells us that Jesus has a special heart for his wayward sheep. I want you to notice here in verse 6, after the angel declares that Jesus has risen, in verse 7, he then says to the women, Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Friends, that's a very interesting statement there. Have you ever wondered, why does God have the angel single out Peter here? Why Peter out of all the disciples? The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, friends, the reason God was singling out Peter here is because out of all the disciples, Peter was uniquely in need of the healing love of Jesus Christ. The risen You see, just a few days earlier, Peter had declared his unfailing allegiance to Jesus Christ. Peter had declared to Jesus that he would go to his death following Jesus. No matter the cost, Peter would stand by Jesus' side. And yet when Jesus was arrested, when he was put on trial as he was being beaten, Peter renounced Jesus. And denied him three times. And now, Peter, out of all the disciples, was a broken man. He was ashamed. He was plagued by guilt. Friends, let me ask you this morning have you ever felt like Peter? Have you ever felt lost and alone? Have you ever turned your back on God? Have you ever thought to yourself, there's no way that God could ever forgive me, that God would ever love someone like me again? If so, friends, the good news of Easter is this Jesus has a special heart for his wayward sheep. He's got a special place in his heart for his wayward sheep. See, Jesus declared himself to be the good shepherd. In one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, Jesus tells the parable of the good shepherd. The shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one who had wandered away. Let me read this parable for us. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Friends, Jesus has a special place in his heart for his wayward sheep. And you too, like Peter, can know that if you have strayed from the Lord, Maybe you've been living your life in rebellion against God. Maybe you've walked away from Jesus and the church and the hope that we have in the gospel. You've been living your life on your own terms. I want you to know, friends, that Jesus will never give up on you. Jesus will never stop pursuing you. Jesus has a special place in his heart for his lost sheep. And I'll tell you something, friends, if you'll let him, Jesus will pick you up in his loving arms. He'll carry you across his shoulders. He'll bring you back to a place of security and safety and hope because he's a good shepherd and he loves his lost sheep. Friends, don't ever lose hope that you're too far from God because Jesus will never give up on you. He'll never stop pursuing. The third observation I want to share from our passage this morning in the angel's message to the women that first Easter Sunday. Observation number three, the angel tells the women that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. See, friends, Jesus always goes ahead of his people. And this point is so good. God is so good, friends. Jesus always goes ahead of his people. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. If you're a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, let me tell you something. No matter where you are today, no matter what you're facing in your life, Jesus has gone before you. As the good shepherd, Jesus always goes ahead of his people. No matter your circumstances, no matter your situations, no matter your hardships or trials, Jesus has gone before you. One of the most beloved passages in all the Bible is Psalm 23, a testament to the good shepherd that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4, we read this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, two times in that amazing passage, King David says that the Lord leads his people. The good shepherd leads his people. He goes before his people. The good shepherd doesn't push his people forward into the unknown. No, the good shepherd leads his people and he never leaves them. In fact, the very last words of Jesus Christ to his followers after he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns today, his very last words to his followers in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus declared, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, Jesus is with you always. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can count on that promise. Jesus is with you. He's with you as you face your chemotherapy treatments this week. Jesus is with you as you fight for your marriage, as you struggle to hold on to your family. He's with you, friends. Jesus is with you as you struggle through your present financial burdens. Jesus is is with you always. That's his promise. Friends, let me ask you, is Jesus your good shepherd today? If he's not, he can be. He can be if you'll trust in him. He'll pick you up. He'll hold you in his loving arms. And you can know the hope that is found in the good shepherd, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you'll put your trust in him especially on this Easter Sunday. As we close this morning, I want to share two observations from the women's response to the angel's message that very first Easter Sunday. I I love how the women respond. The women, it says in verse 8, after hearing this report from the angel, the women went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone. Observation number one from the women's response. Mark tells us that the women fled the tomb. Friends, why did the women flee? Why did they flee the tomb? Let me tell you, because a tomb is no place for a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, never again in all of history would a Christian remain in a tomb. You see, Jesus Christ conquered the grave. And for those who believe in him, who've put their hope and trust in him, he gives us his very same resurrection power. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What a promise, friends. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. You know something? One day your mortal body is going to die. But if you've put your hope in Jesus Christ, you too will flee that tomb because Jesus gives you his resurrection power. Friends, let me ask you this morning, do you have that kind of hope today? Do you know with certainty that when your mortal body dies, you too will experience the resurrection power? The resurrection power that brought Jesus back to life, conquering the grave? I'm going to tell you something. You can have that assurance. You too can know Jesus' resurrection power, the one who is the resurrection and the life. When you trust in him, he promises you that very same power, that new and eternal life. I hope you put your trust in Jesus. The last observation I want to make this morning from the women's response to the angel's message that Jesus has risen Observation number two, the women who said nothing could not keep quiet. Friends, these women fled the tomb. They ran off. Mark tells us that they said nothing to anyone. But you know something? They couldn't keep this message to themselves for long. You see, for a person who's experienced the hope that's found in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, there's a change that, take, that forever takes place in the heart. There's a song of joy that cannot be contained. You know, this morning, Christians all around the world are gathering, singing songs of joy and celebration. Christ the Lord has risen today. Hallelujah. But friends, it's not just about singing a song of joy, but because of the hope that we have in Jesus, we not only sing a song of joy, but we can live our lives out of an abundance of joy. The Apostle Paul, writing from a prison cell in Rome, in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Friends, the word rejoice, it's a great word. To rejoice means to return to the source of your joy. To rejoice. To return to the source of your joy. Do you want to know why a Christian can rejoice always? It's because we have a living, eternal, and ever faithful source of joy in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a joy that transcends any and every circumstance. Let me ask you, what is your source of joy this morning? Do you have a basis for joy that's sure and steadfast? that never lets you down? You can. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see, friends, this is a message that can't be kept quiet. It's just good, too good to contain. Jesus is our Savior. He conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. How could we ever keep that message to ourselves? And this is why the heart of Christianity is referred to as the gospel. That's a word you might have heard before. The word, the gospel, it means good news. Good news. The good news that Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins, that he has conquered the grave, that he promises us a new relationship, an eternal relationship with our heavenly father. It's the greatest news this world has ever heard. The apostle John in that famous Bible verse, John 3, 16, he declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, that's the gospel. It's a promise that's trustworthy and it's a hope that is sure. And I want to tell you this Easter Sunday morning, it's a hope that can be yours too. It can be yours too if you'll trust in Jesus as your savior and Lord. If you'll ask Jesus Christ, To forgive you of your sins, to to wash you anew and cleanse you of your rebellion against God. Jesus will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's why He died on the cross, it's why He shed His blood. He paid the penalty, He bore the wrath of a righteous, holy God that was ours because of our sin and our rebellion. But Jesus went to that cross and laid down His life in our place. He died for you, friends. And if you'll trust in him, he will forgive you. He'll make you a new creation. He'll give you the right to be called a child of God. We know this hope is certain and sure because Jesus conquered the grave. He's a living Savior. I pray you'll trust him. I pray that you too, on this Easter Sunday, will know the hope and joy that we have in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you did on that cross when you died for our sins. And we thank you that we can trust that you truly have forgiven us and cleansed us because you rose in power from the grave. You conquered death. You're a living Savior. You're a God who rules and reigns over the world today. And because of that, we can trust you and we can trust your promises. We thank you for our salvation, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us. And if there's anybody here watching this morning who has never put their hope in you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that even right now, wherever they are, maybe sitting in their bed this morning, maybe watching in their family room, maybe sitting at their kitchen table, wherever they are, if they've never put their hope in you, I would pray that right now, you would draw them to yourself, that you would inspire them to pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I want to trust in your salvation. I want to receive the gift of salvation that you purchased for me when you went to the cross. I want to know the hope of Easter and your resurrection power and the new life that comes walking as a child of God. Jesus, will you be my good shepherd this morning? Will you pick me up and set me on a path of hope? Give me new life today. I trust in you, Jesus. Friends, if you pray that prayer this morning, you can know that God has started a new work in your heart. He has washed away your sins. He has set you on a path of new life. Jesus, we praise you. And we thank you for your amazing grace. We celebrate you, our great God and King, this Easter Sunday. To Jesus be all the honor, glory, and praise. In your precious name, amen.
1: I search the world. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. The
0: pray it's been a blessing to you and an encouragement to you as we reflect and celebrate our risen Savior. I just want to say if you would like to talk to one of our pastors here at Lakes Free or if you would like someone to pray with you this week, I'd encourage you to go to the Lakes Free website, lakesfree.org. There on our homepage, we have a very clear prayer link and you can indicate there if you would like to pray with somebody or if you have a prayer request that we can pray for you we would be glad to do that. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you prayed with us this morning to put your hope in Jesus Christ. Friends, there's nothing greater than than that. There's no greater joy on this Easter than to know Jesus and the resurrection hope that we have because of him. I want to leave you with this benediction from Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, friends. Happy Easter.
2: Oh,